How about? <laughs> So how's that? That's great. great. Um, it's really an honor and a pleasure to be back at IMS. Um, it's one of my spiritual homes and um, I'll be talking about how we actually are creating that spiritual home for all of us to relax into. And it's really, whether you're here for the first time or whether you've been to every single one of these retreats, it's precious. It's, it's such a rare opportunity for us to come and cultivate a collective spiritual practice together. The Buddha said that cultivating this practice of mindfulness for moment to moment, 24 hours over a day is more precious than, than living without mindfulness for a lifetime. And so the invitation and the exploration of this week that we have together is really to come into this preciousness, how, how amazing this life is if, if we only turn our awareness towards it, this mindfulness practice that um, we call Vipassana, seeing clearly, being able to see what is true about um, our lives. And so as, as Gina was mentioning, you'll hear the term mindfulness, um, which is not only about slowing down. It's about slowing down in order for us to really see what's going on because of the, of, of the amount of, um, the, the amount of stuff we carry. We care, all of us carry a huge amount in our lives. And in the relaxing into this practice and into your life, you're invited to begin to let that go. Let, let that, what you're holding in order to really look at, who am I? I mean, that's one of the fundamental core spiritual questions. Who are we? Who am I really? Who are we really? And you'll hear the term metta or loving kindness during the week. This gentle acceptance, this allowing of as we begin to see what our lives really are like, whether it's the 10,000 joys or the 10,000 sorrows, can we simply allow them without pushing them away, without wanting more of them, without manipulating the experience, but just being with that experience, that very gentle kindness. And as we become more and more mindful and more and more allowing and accepting of each of these moments that arise, we actually incline our life towards greater happiness and less suffering. It's not about forcing ourselves or forcing our life to be something other than it is. It's not about um, being someone who we are not, but it's about cultivating this, this inclination of our hearts and minds, our hearts to be open and kind, our, our minds to be clear. And so you'll be given many invitations over the week in both 
um, mindfulness and loving kindness. And, and really the point is not to necessarily do them perfectly or to strive to get to a certain place, but really to relax into the invitations and see what is true for you. And as, as Gina was also mentioning that, you know, to really acknowledge the busyness, the fullness of our lives, you know, the, the, the actual reality of the hurricane that's, that's, uh, that may or may not be approaching is the reality of our lives. This, this often tumultuous experience that we have. And is there a still point in the storm in which we can be aware so that we can actually navigate through the hurricane as opposed to be caught in it. So that, you know, the conditions, the external conditions are so actually, um, uh, they're a guide for us. They're, they're a metaphor of what we actually experience internally. And as I sort of alluded to, we're really creating the container of safety, this this place of spiritual home for all of us to be able to relax, because it really requires some sense of safety. I often invoke this Maya Angelou quote because it really speaks to the sense of, of home, this ache for home that lives in all of us, the safe space where we can go as we are and not be questioned. And in that place of not having to defend ourselves, not having to to be who we're not, we can really begin to relax the defenses that sometimes we need in the external world to protect ourselves. But in this container, we can begin to invite who are we beyond our defenses? Who are we beyond who we think we are. And part of that is really to acknowledge all of who you are. You know, you're the, uh, we come from so many different backgrounds, from family lineages, from ancestral traditions, from gender identities, orientations, economic, educational backgrounds. The invitation is really to bring all of who you are and leave none of yourself behind and to see and explore what is this life that we have and really to feel welcome to do that, to welcome all of yourself, all of ourselves. And part of the creating of the the safety is this container that we call noble silence. And, you know, this container that we call noble silence doesn't, isn't, in, um, isn't presented as an invitation without that word noble. Because silence in and of itself, in many communities, especially in communities that, have not, um, that are not part of the mainstream, um, silence can be repressive. It can be oppressive. You know, in certain communities, there's that term, silence equals death. And this silence has a completely different intention. This 
the nobility of this silence actually creates intimacy in a way that we so rarely experience in our life because of the busyness, because of the constant communication. And you will begin to experience each of your um, fellow um, um, companions on this journey in a way that you'll get to know them by the sound of their breath. You'll get to know them by how they walk. Who in the world do you know that intimately other than your partner or your family member? And to have a whole community bonded through this intimacy is incredibly precious. So really, the importance of the silence is so um, precious and to really honor it. And if you need to communicate or speak to someone to you know, make contact with the managers or one of the teachers or the, the night contact, but really to um, offer the gift of that silence to your fellow practitioners and not to uh, disturb um, that sense of intimacy and preciousness. For some people, um, this includes the non-verbal communication of eye contact because you know that, that we can also communicate with each other non-verbally easily. And you know, for our communities, eye contact sometimes is really important to bond and to, to, to witness and, 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 and recognize. And you know, so eyes will meet, and that's, that's totally fine. It's not about it being right or wrong, but that just to allow that some people will quickly avert their eyes in order to create that, that container for themselves, and, and just to respect that. I'm going to reiterate, repeat the invitation around technology. And um, uh, I know that there are extenuating circumstances due to the storm. And, and, um, and so the invitation is not to take advantage of the extenuating circumstances as a license to do unnecessary contact, especially after Monday because that, the, the external storm will have passed. The internal might not have, but the external will. And you know, the, the, so much of our teaching is, tends to be experiential, so for one time only, you know, I just invite you to experience when I'm checking my email. And what does that feel like for someone giving some dharma to be checking their email or maybe taking a picture? <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't feel right. So really to allow that same honoring and to really remove the technology from the building if you absolutely need to use it. Um, please do not take Dharma notes on technology, use, your, use the old-fashioned technology, 
um, because it just changes the energy around you. And I'll end with um, uh, a passage from um, these teachings called the Radiant Sutras, which come from the um, meditation tradition of yoga. And it speaks to this place of belonging, the sense of safety that we're inviting you to cultivate for yourselves and ourselves. There is a place in the heart where everything meets. Go there if you want to find me. Mind, senses, soul, eternity, all are there. Are you there? Enter the bowl of vastness that is the heart. Give yourself to it with total abandon. Quiet ecstasy is there and a steady regal sense of resting in a perfect spot. Once you know the way, the nature of attention will call you to return again and again and be saturated with the knowing, I belong here. I am at home here. You are invited to answer that call over and over again. Yeah. Hello. Yes. All right. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm I'm really quite delighted to be here. I was just in England, so I'm a little bit askew in terms of time. <laughs> it's like I get a wave of energy, and then I think, oh no, it's like two in the morning, which actually it is. <laughs> um, but it, it's quite wonderful to be here um, and to be here with all of you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what we do classically when we begin a retreat and then turn things over to Bhante to, to formally begin the retreat. And usually it starts with a contemplation and reflection on what we call the three refuges, the first of which is the Buddha himself. So as Gina said, I went to India uh, quite a while ago. I I went in 1970, actually, and began meditation practice in January of 1971, which I always find like immensely startling. Every once in a while, somebody is introducing me, and they say, she's been practicing for 40 years, and I sort of want to look around like, where is she? Um, but that's the truth. So the I went to India really to try to learn how to meditate. I wasn't particularly interested in becoming a Buddhist or exploring the philosophy or the theory or certainly not interested in adopting a dogma or a set of beliefs or rejecting any other set of beliefs. I wanted to know if there were some very practical, real-time tools that I might use that would help me. Help me deal with the kind of confusion and unhappiness that I was suffering from so strongly. And so 
it took a while even once in India to find that kind of situation that felt really pragmatic and, and direct. And I finally did. And that was affirmed the very first night of the retreat when the teacher, uh, who's a, a Burmese man named Goenka, said, the Buddha did not teach Buddhism, the Buddha taught a way of life. And I thought, well, that's exactly what I'm looking for, is some reflection on a different way of life. And, and this was affirmed with another one of my teachers, an Indian man named Manindra, just a little while later when he said something to me that I always get the feeling is kind of difficult to convey the tremendous kindness I felt when he said it. But he said, the, Buddhist, the Buddha's enlightenment solved the Buddha's problem, now you solve yours. And it was a tremendous thing for me, actually, because it felt like maybe the first time in my life someone was looking at me as though to say, you can solve your problem. You can make this change. You can be a lot happier than you are. You can do this. And so those two statements really form the foundation of my understanding of how we hold this sense of, of the Buddha, who was considered to be a historical figure. He was a prince. Uh, he was born in what is now Nepal, was then um, kind of India, um, and was a human being, and had some very powerful questions about what it means to be a human being, and said that any answers he came to, any resolutions he came to, he came to through the power of his own awareness, and so can we. Those were the kinds of questions like, now, what does it mean to have a human body, to be an infant, to be so vulnerable, so subject to the actions of others, and then to grow up, to grow older, to get sick, to die, whether you want to or not? And is there a kind of happiness we can have anyway that isn't going to be broken, isn't going to be shattered? What does it mean to have a human mind, to maybe wake up in the morning filled with faith, and then doubt, then anger, then fear, then joy, then sorrow, and just like this cascade of changing emotions that we do not seem to be able to control through kind of will or determination. It's like saying, okay, I thought about it really hard, and I'm done grieving. It's over. Or I'm never going to be afraid again. Or I'm never going to fall asleep meditating again. Well, like, good luck, right? So the Buddha, in effect, asked, is there a quality of happiness we can have that even as our mind on the emotional level may go through these changes or we have different life experiences and things feel great, things feel terrible, and whatever may be happening that we can rest in anyway. So those were his questions. And again, it said that whatever answers he came to, he came to through the power of his own awareness. So when we look at a, a Buddha statue like the one behind us, in front of you, in a way we're looking right through the Buddha statue and seeing ourselves, seeing some capacity. It said we all have, each and every one of us, no matter who we are, what we may have been through, we're all said to have this capacity for wisdom, for clarity, for love, for compassion. And so we look at the Buddha and we really see ourselves. And that's the nature of taking refuge in the Buddha. It's not really like a religious or exclusionary uh, activity. It's about ourselves and, and what we can do, really. 
And the teachings the Buddha um, delivered or offered are known as the Dharma, in Sanskrit, Dhamma in Pali, uh, which is the language of the original Buddhist text. Sometimes we use Sanskrit here, sometimes Pali. Um, Dharma really means the nature of things, the truth. We're taking refuge in how things actually are. So much of our perception tends to be distorted by what we've been taught to believe or things we're afraid of or things we hope are really happening, even though they're kind of not happening. And, you know, all kinds of ways we get into different distortions. And taking refuge in the Dharma is a way of being able to acknowledge this is the truth of things. This is what's happening right now. And so the Buddha really offered an invitation to experience the Dharma, to experience the truth each of us for ourselves. It's called a self-witness truth, which means no one can give it to us, but no one can take it away from us. So this is the entire nature of the practice that we do, is to be able to try to see more clearly, to really rest with more and more confidence and clarity in the, the deeper truths that we, we uncover. And then the third refuge that is classical is is called the Sangha and has lots of different layers of, of meanings or definitions. The most traditional meaning actually is the monastic Sangha, the monks and the nuns who have been, like, like Bhante, you know, who've been the um, ones who have preserved these teachings through these centuries, who have uh, really served as a kind of visual reminder of being able to let go. And uh, even though this, this part is, is often not talked about that much because we happen to have a, a member of the monastic sangha, which is a, a tremendous privilege, I think it's also important to, to honor and, and to pay respect to. Just a couple of weeks ago, um, I was in Brooklyn, and I went to visit some Burmese monks who've moved there with a Burmese friend. And um, they were part of the Saffron Revolution in Burma, and one had been in prison for 10 years. And um, they had gone through tremendous sacrifice uh, in their personal lives for the ideals that they believed in. But it was quite incredible going with this Burmese friend because she... Uh, she wanted to go see the monks because her mother had died pretty recently and, and there's some very traditional kind of rituals that you do with, in, in the presence of monastics. And, um, so there I was in Brooklyn and I realized I could be anywhere uh, in, in this world where this kind of offering, a teaching about death and the inevitability of death and love and compassion and and so on was going on. And then when I was in England, we went to visit uh, a monastery there and first toured where the, you know, the monks are and then the retreat center and then where the nuns are. And I had the same feeling. I thought, wow, it could be anywhere. Uh, look at this, There's something so ancient and yet so present at the same time. So another meaning of the word sangha as a refuge is uh, some recognition that just like the Buddha, uh, human beings, men, women, all kinds of people have sought to see more deeply 
have stepped away from just conventional understanding and have had the courage to really question and say, I want to find a deeper meaning of happiness, or I want something more independent of conditions, or I want to find that which won't change all the time, or, or whatever it might be, which takes a lot to step away. People have done that forever. And that when we come together, say, in a retreat, it's almost like we're joining a stream of all these people who for centuries and centuries have done that. And their, their practice and their realization is supporting our efforts as well. And I think we can, we can take you know, a lot of delight in that. And then the last meaning of the word sangha um, is the most contemporary one, which is really community. It's all of us together forming a community. We're forming a community um, that's unusual. You know, we're existing uh, at least somewhat in silence. We're not necessarily comparing our experience to everyone else's. We might not know what someone does outside of here. You start to think of yourself as a pot washer, you know, rather than whatever you might have been doing up until yesterday afternoon. It's a very unusual kind of community where we can trust one another and we know we won't hurt one another. They always say that about uh, Buddhist monasteries, you know, that you can leave anything of any value in the middle of the floor and the next day it's going to be there. Um, you know, so we help each other tremendously by uh, respecting one another's practice and, and engaging in our own and uh, taking care of one another through our, our actions and so on. And so that meaning of sangha also becomes very relevant to our, our time here together. So Bhante is going to um, lead us in the actual undertaking of, of these refuges and uh, moving on from there to formally begin the retreat. All right, with that uh, profound talk about uh, the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, now you know why uh, we take it three times to reinforce <laughs> the message. Because <laughs> it's so important. In fact, the Buddha, everything which was very important, he recommended to repeat it many times. So it's not like, oh yeah, it's just boring, I have to repeat the same thing. Why do I have to repeat the same thing? So it's the importance, is pointing uh, towards that importance of these three refuges, the triple gem. So before we take these uh, three refuges and uh, the five precepts, uh, I would like to welcome you. And uh, it, I'm so glad to see all of you, even those people I haven't seen before. So it's always a joy to see you uh, coming to practice. Because I remember very well, Sharon went to India to meditate. I came to America to meditate. <laughs> and I'm very grateful for, her, for confounding this center because I heard about this center when I was in India that you can meditate for three months. I said, you are crazy. Three months? <laughs> Not writing? <laughs> yes, you can. I said, wow. <laughs> So uh, uh, I, I made it to this place, 
from Boston straight to the cushion. <laughs> what is very strange, when I was asking the visa to come here, I was in Brazil, I went to American embassy, I said, I'm going to meditate. They said, meditation? What's this? <laughs> you, can, you can't meditate here? You can't meditate here. I said, no, I'm going to America to meditate. Because in front of me, there were business people. <laughs> me, I was just seeking for the path to liberation. After staying many years in India, I had already stayed five years in India, I had done meditation. But it wasn't that, uh, I didn't have enough time for, uh, to meditate for three months. <laughs> So, and I came here to meditate. I remember I was sitting there, right there. <laughs> so whenever I come to IMS, it's like coming at, uh, to home, my spiritual home. The monks were homeless, but really, I just feel really coming to my home. And I stayed here on staff for almost a year. So this is really my home. So I'm so relaxed whenever I'm here because it's my home too. And seeing you coming here, it's wonderful. So I welcome you because I'm at home. So um, I would like to explain a little bit about uh, the five precepts because that's really pretty much uh, put things in a safe container. So the first one is uh, I undertake the precepts to refrain from destroying, destroying living creatures. By the way, before you begin, we go there. Precepts are not commandments. It's actually training guidelines, something that you, you undertake to support your practice. Yeah, so there's a, a difference, actually. So anybody who wants to be peaceful, happy, and uh, cultivate compassion and wisdom, this is what you need to, to take, to undertake. So they are very profound, and they have a, a profound meaning. So I'm going to explain a little bit. I undertake the uh, precept uh, to refrain from destroying living creatures. Now, this is a written negative form, but uh, the question is, what can we do? We, we need to protect life. We need to preserve life. So if you are walking around and you sell an insect, don't intentionally kill it. So, and that's uh, very important for your practice. When we have preserved life and protected life, there's that inner joy that, that comes within you that you have compassion, you have loving kindness for all living beings. Something not uh, uh, very common in the rest of the world. <laughs> These are few places where meditators really undertake this practice, but other places, sometime I'm in Uganda sometime one time, and we have a meeting and something will start crawling around, and someone did like this. <laughs> so, so, what has it done to you? It hasn't by visiting you. And, uh, so, really, people's uh, warp behavior is really to kill, really. I've seen it again and again, but this is very powerful if we undertake this practice. And we'll feel joy definitely when we see that we have saved life and we let other living beings live freely and happily. Just as you like to be uh, happy, to be alive, also other creatures, 
they like to be alive and happy. <laughs> so that's actually the, the foundation. <laughs> the second is I undertake the precept to refrain from taking what's not given. By the way, we are not expecting you to take anything from here. I know you are good yogis. Uh, this is worded in negative term, not to take what's not given. But when we look at the positive side of this precept is to be contented, to be generous, to be contented with what you are offered here, like your meals, everything in the facility here. If you are contented, then your practice is going to progress faster. You are not longing for that chocolate, that ice cream, that, <laughs> that television program and all that kind. So you are contented with the contents of your life. In other words, so this is another profound precept that really will keep you happy here. In fact, according to this teaching, they say the happiest person is the one who is contented. Why don't you try that? Huh? The most wealth person is not Bill Gates, it's the one who is contented. So you can try that. Then the third precept is. Uh, I undertake the precepts to refrain from uh, any kind of erotic behavior. This is a precept which covers actually a wide range <laughs> of things. Uh, usually it's worded abstaining from sexual behavior, sensual behavior. But I'd like you to look at it, this precept like this. Uh, when you come here, if you start indulging in sensual desires, uh, seeing, hearing, testing, touching, and all this, then we are going to be agitated. Uh, we are going to indulge in these senses, and that pro produces a lot of agitation, and we cannot practice when we are agitated. So, in other words, what you need to do is to uh, calm your mind, control your mind, so that you are not... Uh, indulging in these uh, sensual pleasures. So, and also, of course, we know our sexual energy, uh, if it's uh, misused, how it, uh, it can harm others. So this also is included here. So the positive aspect is also very important of this precept. I undertake the precept to refrain from incorrect speech. Well, you are keeping noble silence. <laughs> so... <laughs> You're off the hook. <laughs> so, but really what this means is to be honest and be truthful to your practice. Right? All the segments of your practice, all the aspects of your practice, you have to practice gracefully, respectfully, and honestly. But also during your interviews and group discussions, you have to speak from your heart and you have to be honest. It's really doing justice to yourself, to your practice. And also, of course, um, uh, this means not talking to yogis <laughs> and just keep your communication to the minimum if uh, it's necessary. The fifth precept is I undertake the precept to refrain from intoxicating, uh, from intoxicating liquors and drugs which leads to carelessness, carelessness. So this is very clear also. Though we don't expect you to take martini here and whiskey and all that. 
it's not our expectation. <laughs> of course, some people have prescribed the drugs and all that, uh, so that's uh, okay for your health reasons. Uh, but really, it means to uh, be mindful, to be vigilant, to be heedful all the time. Most people zone out when they come here and uh, they just pass time or they look at the time. When are we going to end? When uh, Today is it Monday or Tuesday? <laughs> they really just pass time. They just want the retreat to end. So because they are not vigilant, you have to be uh, careful with your practice and mindful. Keep sober <laughs> in simple terms. All right, so let us take the... Uh, the three refugees together with uh, the five precepts. So uh, we are going to do our Pali, Pali 101. <laughs> so I'm going to call, uh, call and response, but be patient with the repetition because it just reinforces the message. And this usually we design like this, uh, it's called Anjali. It's one of uh, respect and for the practice actually. Yeah, respect for yourself that you are undertaking this, pra this practice. Respect for the Dharma. Right? So then we are going to repeat in English for new people who never repeated this. So we start. Okay. <coughs> Call and response. Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Let us repeat in English. Okay. I don't need to call and response in English. Let us go together in English. Homage to the bliss. Never. And perfectly natural. Three times. Homage to the bliss. Noble and perfectly natural. Homage to the bliss. And perfectly natural. Okay, we're go, going for the three refugees. Buddham Saranam Gachami. Dhammam saranam gachami Sangam saranam gachami Dutyampi buddham saranam gachami Dutyampi dhammam saranam gachami Dutyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. Tatyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami. Tatyampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami. Tatyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. Tatyampi Sangam Saranam 
so let us repeat all together in English. To the Buddha, I go for the refuge. To the Dhamma, I go for refuge. To the Sangha, I go for refuge. For the second time, as a actually, we have to say like for the second time, I go. <laughs> To the Buddha, I go for refuge. Don't cut out corners. I told you. <laughs> I told you that this is to reinforce the message, right? <laughs> okay. For the second time, to the Buddha, I go for the. For the second time, to the Dharma, I go for. For the second time, to the Sangha, I go for refuge. For the third time, to the Buddha, I go for refuge. For the third time, to the summer, I go for refuge. For the third time, the summer. You got it. <laughs> okay, let's take the five precepts now. Okay. So, Panati Pata Veramani. Sika Padam Samadhiyami. Adina dana we ramani. Sika padam samadhiyami. Abramacharya we ramani. Sika padam samadhiyami. Musavada we ramani. Sika padam samadhiyami. Sura miraya. Majapamadatana. Veramani sika padam samadhiyami. Okay, in English, I undertake together. The precepts presence of the I undertake the precept refrain from seeing I undertake the precepts to refrain from any kind of I undertake the precept to refrain from incorrect speech. I undertake the precept refrain from intoxicating Okay, there's a dedication we have to do at the end. There's a dedication. Idaming Silam Magapala Nyanasa Pachayohotu. Okay, together. May this morality of mine help to bring. You are good to go. That's a good start. <laughs> Thank you very much. I wish you success in your practice. This is a practice already. Actually, they say that showing up is half the practice. <laughs> Imagine if we were to come all together here and just don't talk, just stay here. <laughs> it's already a wonderful transformation. And now we... Practice this and mindfulness is wonderful. I wish you success in your retreat. Thank you very much. So a couple of things. Uh, thank you, Bhante. 
Um, just so you know, we will release you at the end of the retreat from the sexuality uh, um, abstinence precept. I'm sure you're relieved about that. Um, as you may realize, uh, when we started out a week ago, looking at our list of attendees, we had a full retreat. And with the, um, with the, with the weather, we've had several cancellations. So what we're thinking that we'd like to do is um, uh, rearrange the hall so that we feel a little bit more intimate with you. And so what I would, well, should we have um, Bryony do it or you think maybe have the yogis do it? What do you think? Um, I think it's that the yogis can do it if they need So, yeah. So what we'd like you to do is those of you who are at the end, not we're going to meditate first, but at the end, when we're finished meditating, if you would just um, help us by those of you who are in the back with all of the empty cushions in front of you, if you would move forward and help to just take the empty cushions up and put them in the back. And then um, for those of you who are sitting on chairs, if you would move the chairs forward, just so that we don't feel as if there's an, a big empty void in the middle of the space. Is that clear? Yes? Yeah, we do need to leave four spaces because there are four more people coming. Okay, so if you would leave at least four cushions um, uh, empty, that would be great. All right, or maybe six. Okay, so uh, we, uh, we just close the evening with a, with a short uh, sitting. So we've had a lot of information tonight, and you've uh, spent all of your time getting here, arriving here, unpacking, settling in. So see if you can let go of all of that uh, feeling of that energetic activity right now, and just bring your attention to being here right now sitting right where you are. Allowing the attention to settle, to settle down into the body. And perhaps just feeling the contact of your body with the chair or the cushion or the bench, whatever you're sitting on. Just feel that contact. And allow your posture to be upright, dignified, and noble without being stretched, overstretched, or tense. And relax your facial muscles, your shoulders, your arms, your diaphragm, your belly and your lower body.
and easily, gently, without forcing or pushing or trying to make anything happen. Allow your attention to just rest very easily, gently, and tenderly on the breath moving in the body. Whether you notice it at the belly or at the nostrils or in the whole body, however you notice it easiest, allow the attention to rest there. Feel the rhythm of the breath. The movement of the breath. Perhaps the temperature or just the expansion and contraction or the movement of air, however you feel it. Let your attention come to rest in that feeling of movement, that experience of movement. The attention gets pulled away from the breath by sound or sensation or thought. It's not a worry, it's not a problem. When that uh, pulling of the attention abates or lessens, just allow the attention to come back in a relaxed and easy and untroubled way to the movement of breath.
So thank you, and uh, please sleep well. And uh, we'll see you at the first sitting tomorrow at 6. Have a good night's sleep. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.